0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. It is Monday, Advent Monday of week two, uh, December the 5th, 2022, second week of Advent, uh, Monday morning. Hope you guys are doing well as we continue together going through our Advent readings um, using as our guide this year, N.T. Wrights. Devotional entitled "An Advent for Everyone," based on the Gospel of Luke, and I know many of you have already picked it up yourself, so you're able to continue on in the readings when we're not together. Uh, still, time to do that. You can get the devotional in just a couple of days. So, um, so if you ordered it today, you'd probably have it here by have it at your house by Wednesday if you want to continue on reading uh, with us again. It's by N.T. Wright. And it's entitled "An Advent for Everyone." It's based on the Gospel of Luke. He has a series of these uh, Advent uh, devotionals. Um, Some are based on the writings of Paul, Uh, other gospel writers. This one is based on specifically the Gospel of Luke. Well, welcome everybody. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We did. We uh, we did. We did. uh, Yeah, if you were at Bayside yesterday, we uh, debuted in worship the song uh, "Gloria." Which I talked about on the podcast last week. And so, um, we, uh, did that song as a worship song. And, um, oh yeah, by the way, yeah, if you get the electronic version of the, uh, devotional guide, you can get it immediately. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, get it for your Kindle, uh, right away. Um, anyway, so, but yeah, we did the, uh, the worship song Gloria that Travis Bray wrote and Leo produced, uh, Leo Flores produced. It was awesome. Really, was so uh, received very well. Hopefully you guys have had time to download the song or stream the song on your, uh, uh, whatever your streaming platform is that you use Spotify or Apple music or whatever, really good song. Um, so I'd encourage you to continue to, uh, to listen to it throughout the whole holiday season. Gloria. Uh, by uh, Travis Bray. You can just search for his name. You'll find the song. Um, it's a beautiful song. Great worship song. Great Christmas song. And um, and it actually helps mul- church multiplication. So, yeah. it was. Uh, but it was really well received. It was awesome to sing it uh, live in worship together. It was beautiful. Um, we also had our staff Christmas party. So, um, the Bayside staff was here at our house Saturday night. We had that. Um, what else went on Friday night? There was something Friday too, but I, I forget. Um, anyway, so this week at the Roland house is, uh, my middle daughter's, uh, Kelly Kelly's graduation from nursing school, which is we're we're incredibly excited about. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. We're excited about that. Um, she, uh, she gets pinned as uh, on Thursday, so we have family coming in, and uh, should be a fun celebration, a great great accomplishment. So we're proud of her. Um, yeah. So, in a in a in the midst of all the Christmas stuff, uh, we got a little a little family celebration going on, um, and also the same night as K- Kelly's her pinning ceremony, is uh, Christy's uh, office party. So you know we're just gonna cram it all in here, man. Just all in one week is gonna be awesome. Um, Tis the season <laughs> for all that good stuff. Uh, I'm sure your your uh, your life is probably just as crazy with parties and practices and rehearsals and celebrations and you know all those all those things going on. Uh, so uh, so I appreciate you making time to spend some time together uh, in God's Word and in prayer each morning. Um, I hope it's meaningful to you, and uh, I, I commend you for making it a priority. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Alex, all you guys on the podcast. Angie, good morning. Hope you guys have a fantastic day. Oh, yeah, the Friday was the, uh, the uh, that's right, Friday was the Largo, uh, the outing, um, the Largo with the prime timers at Bayside. They went to Largo to see the lights. Yeah, so a lot going on. All righty, let's do it, y'all. Let's uh, let's see what the uh, reading is for today, what the, the Word of the Lord has to say to us, and what uh, the comments of uh, Bishop N.T. Wright um, uh, say to us today. You know what we do? We read, we pray, we change the world. Let's do it. This passage is from Luke chapter 13, 1 through 9. Uh, it's the parable of the fig tree. Luke chapter 13, 1 through 9. At that moment, some people came up and told them the news. Some Galileans had been in the temple, and Pilate had mixed their blood with that of the sacrifices. I don't know if I've ever noticed that verse before. Had mixed their blood with that of the sacrifices. Wow. Do you suppose, said Jesus, that those Galileans suffered such things because they were greater sinners than all other Galileans? No. Let me tell you, unless you repent, you will all be destroyed in the same way. Hmm. And what about those 18 who were killed with uh, when the Tower of Siloam collapsed on top of them? Do you imagine they were more blameworthy than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, let me tell you, unless you repent, you all will be destroyed in the same way. This hmm. so is that, you know. Do you think just because bad things happened to people, it was because they were more sinful than other people? He's like, No, we all need to repent. Verse 6. He told them this parable. Once upon a time there was a man who had a fig tree in his vineyard. He came to look, he came, he came to it looking for fruit and didn't find any. So he said to the gardener, look here. I've been coming to this fig tree for three years, hoping to find some fruit, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Hmm. It reminds me of my neighbor. My neighbor has uh, some really uh, fruitful uh, avocado trees. At least a few of them are. One of them is incredibly fruitful. I and mean, Big old avocados uh, that, we, that we were blessed with <laughs> this past year. Um, but she has one that should be that planted was a planted about the same time and has not produced one avocado. And um, she told uh, Christy, she's like, if it, that, that tree's got one more year. <laughs> that tree's got one more year, and then it's it's out. It's not producing any fruit. It's taking up the soil. You got this other tree, same fruit, same soil, producing all this, these big old avocados. And I'm talking to some these avocados, man, look. I, when I first time I saw them, I was like, what is that? It's like avocado, what? Yeah, I think is, is that thing is, it's about the size of a volleyball. About the size, I mean, that thing is like that big, Those big big old avocados. But but she had the spirit of Jesus. She said, "Look, if that, if that this uh, this other tree, if this other avocado tree that isn't producing fruit after all these years, we're gonna make a little space. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna make a little room." <laughs> Um, that's what it's in, but fig tree had a fig tree to, tree in the vineyard. He said, look, I've been coming to this fig tree for three years, looking for fruit. Haven't found any. Cut it out. Cut it down. Had enough. Why don't take up the soil? I tell you, master replied the gardener, let it alone for just one more year. I'll dig all around it and put on some manure. Then if it, then if it fruits next year, well and good. And if not, you can cut it down. Give it one more chance. We're gonna put a little poop around it. <laughs> uh, we're gonna put a fertilizer. That's what we that's what we call it. We're gonna put some fertilizer around it, and we're, we're gonna tend to it. We're gonna give it a little extra attention. We're gonna do we're gonna do what, everything we can to see this thing produce fruit. We're gonna give it one more shot. It, and if it produces fruit, good and good, you know, well and good. If it doesn't, go ahead and uh, cut it down. With the gardener. Sound like sound like the gardener kind of got attached to that fruitless tree. <laughs> he just want to give it one more chance. He 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 he's he's all in his feelings. He's like, let's just let's just give it one more chance. It's a good little tree. It's a good little fig tree. He's trying real hard. He just can't produce no fruit. So just give him a little minute. Put some poop around him. He'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he needs. He just needs a little manure, a little more manure around him. Sometimes that's all we need. You know, It helps us to see Jesus. <laughs> a little bit more manure in your life, you're like, okay, I need Jesus. I need, I need to get my life right. I ain't producing any fruit. But now I'm up to, I'm up to it in my way, up waist deep in it. I'm, I need, I need to start producing some fruit. Sometimes you've got to send a little manure your way and my way. It don't smell good, but it does produce results. (laughs) (laughs) It don't feel good, but it does produce results. Yeah, a little adversity. Well, Well, let's see what N.T. Wright had to say about it. Welcome, everybody. So glad you guys are on the podcast today, this uh, second week of Advent. Um, the Monday edition. If the New Testament had never been written, we would still we would still know that Pontius Pilate was an unpleasant and unpopular governor in Judea. The Jewish historian Josephus lists several things he did which upset and irritated the local Jewish population. Sometimes he seemed to be deliberately trying to make them angry. He trampled on their religious sensibilities. Once he tried to bring Roman standards, military emblems into Jerusalem, with their pagan symbols, Jewish people didn't like that. He flouted their he flouted their laws and conventions. Once he used money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct, and then brutally crushed the rebellion that resulted. So he stole money from the temple temple that had been given to the Lord for a. Uh, government project. Mm. Don't do that. Don't do that. There was a rebellion that uh, ensued. <laughs> These incidents and others like them are recorded outside the New Testament and help us to understand what sort of person Pilate was like. He wasn't a good person. So it shouldn't surprise us to learn that one on one other Well, what happened there? Um, so it shouldn't surprise us to learn that on one occasion, while some people on a pilgrimage from Galilee had been offering sacrifices at the temple, Pilate sent the troops in. And uh and he was fearing a riot and slaughtered them. That must be what he's talking about, right? The present passage simply speaks of their own blood mingling in the temple courtyard with the blood of their sacrifices, polluting the place on top of the human horror and tragedy of such event, an event. It is as it though occupying forces were in, were to invade church and butcher worshipers on Christmas Day. Wow. That's bad. That ain't good. Remind yourself for a moment where we are in Luke's story. Just Jesus had decided to go to Jerusalem at the head of a party of Galilean pilgrims. If today I was planning a journey to a town under enemy occupation and was told that on the way there, that the local governor was making a habit of killing English clergymen, I suspect I would call my travel agent and book a flight to somewhere less dangerous. These people then, aren't simply bringing Jesus' information. Two questions hover in the air as they tell the shocking news. First, does Jesus really intend to continue his journey? Isn't he afraid of what may happen to him there? And second, what does this mean? Is this the beginning of something worse? If Jesus has been warning of woe and disaster coming on those who refuse his message, is this a sign that these Galileans were already being punished? Hmm. So if Jesus is going to there, he's what he's saying. he's said, is, "Is what? What? A couple of questions come to mind, aren't one? Isn't he afraid? Aren't you afraid of doing this? And second, you know, you've been talking about woe and destruction. Is this just the beginning of it? Is this just going to? Is this the uh, the uh, bringing it to uh, to its culmination?" Jesus' stern comments address the second of these questions. The first remains in the air throughout the chapter until finally, chapter 13, verses 31-35, we discover the answer. Herod is out to kill Jesus in Galilee, but Jesus knows that he must go to Jerusalem. Nowhere is now saved. Yes, Pilate has killed Galilean pilgrims in Jerusalem, but they were no more sinful than any other Galilean pilgrims. Rather, and he is about to repeat the point, unless you repent, you will all be destroyed the same way. Hmm. The same way. That would that would ring a somber note, wouldn't it? The same way, question mark. That's the key. Jesus, Jesus isn't talking about what happens to people after they die. Many have read this passage and supposed that it is a warning about perishing in hell after death, but that is clearly wrong. We're on page 35 of the book. In line with warnings he has issued several times already and will continue to issue right up to his own crucifixion, Jesus is making it clear that those who refuse his summons to change direction to abandon the crazy flight into national rebellion against Rome will suffer the same consequences. Okay, so he's just giving a very, uh, you know, saying, if you continue to do this, you know, if you try to stand up to the government this way, uh, that that particular government, a similar uh, consequence is going to be yours. Those who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or if not the sword, they will be crushed by buildings in Jerusalem as a siege brings, crash, brings them crashing down. Salom is a small area of Jerusalem, close to the center of the ancient city, just to the south of the temple itself. Building accidents happen, but if the Jerusalemites continue to refuse God's kingdom call to repent, to turn from their present agendas, then those who escape roman swords will find the very walls collapsing on top of them as the enemy closes in. Hmm. It's a pretty ominous warning that Jesus is giving people. He's like, look, got to if you try to fight against these uh these secular forces, many times you're not going to win. Um but there's also a, another turning that needs to happen in each of our hearts to uh, towards God's agenda in our in the world, towards God's agenda in our own lives. The, this terrifying warning about the political and military consequences of not heeding his call is at once amplified by the almost humorous, yet in fact quite sinister, parable of the fig tree in the vineyard. People often planted fig trees in vineyards it was good for the grapes. Hmm, didn't know that. Didn't know that fig trees—a fig tree planted in a vineyard—is good for the grapes. Interesting. Underneath the banter between the vineyard owner and the gardener, we detect a direct comment on Jesus' own ministry, and a further answer as to what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. Hmm. He's gonna cut some trees down. That's what he's gonna do. That's see. There, he said, "This fig tree." This is, there's a parable here about Jesus's ministry and what it was gonna have when he gets to Jerusalem. Um, that this fig tree that's been there for a number of years in the vineyard, but has not produced any fruit, its days are numbered. So you kind of get that from reading the story. There are two ways of taking the story, both of which give a satisfactory meaning and arrive at the same point. Jesus himself could be seen as the vineyard owner. He has been coming to the Lord's garden, seeking the fruit of repentance throughout his ministry. We might take the three years of uh, 13.7 as an indicate of, of 137 as an indication that Jesus' ministry had lasted that long but it's more likely that it's simply a part of the logic of the story so you could take it literally that the three years are equated to the literal three years of Jesus' ministry but N. T. writes saying I kind of lean more to the fact that it's just a you know a part of the logic of the story it's not not to be taken to the the three years not to be taken too too literally, um, it doesn't in, it doesn't impact the point of the story one way or the other. So far, apart from a very few followers who are themselves still quite muddled, he has found none, no repentance, not even in the cities where most of his mighty deeds had been done. He is prepared then to give Israel and particularly Jerusalem, the temple and the ruling priest, one more chance. If they still refuse, their doom will be sealed. He's gonna give them one more chance, and we know this. We know what happened. They didn't repent. <laughs> he had to go over there and turn over the money changers, right? Um, or maybe it is God who had been coming to Israel these many years, seeking fruit. So, a different way to look at the same parable. Maybe it's Jesus who's been, but or maybe it's God who's been coming to Israel. These many years seeking fruit, maybe Jesus is the gardener or the servant, uh, the gardener, the servant who is being who has who is now trying, as the owner's patience wears thin, to dig around and put on manure to inject new life and health into the old plant before sentence is passed. So in this case, God is the owner and Jesus is the gardener who's like going to give him one more chance. He's going to go himself and tend to this uh, fig tree, i.e., Israel, to see if we can uh, produce fruit. Either way, the end result is the same. That's the thing about parables, guys. Like you you can't get too hung up on trying to understand, oh, this means this and this means that like everything is like a like a symbolic for something else. A lot of people get get hung up on that. Generally, parables have a singular point. It's not about trying to, you know, make a big answer key. A little bit of there's a little difference in that with like Matthew 14. It talks about the sower and 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 then in that chapter. Um, Jesus goes on to say exactly what each of the parts of the parable mean, but generally that's not how parables generally work. It's about one overarching story. It's not trying, it's not about trying to figure out this, you know, this, this huge mystery of what is this one represents this, and maybe this represents Israel and maybe this represents this. And no, 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 there were stories that were easily understood. They weren't highly complex, like Da Vinci code, um, things. (laughs) You know, and so, so that, so, Nancy Wright's point here is just like it doesn't really matter. It, what the point of the parable is what matters. It's not trying to figure out well is, is in this parable is Jesus the gardener is or is or are we the gardeners or is it, just read the whole parable and you'll get the point. Either way, the end result is the same. If it doesn't produce fruit, if not, you cut it down. Luke's arrangement of the material from chapter 10 towards onwards leaves us in no doubt as to how he saw the matter. When Jerusalem fell in AD 70, it was a direct result of refusing to follow the way of peace which Jesus had urged throughout his ministry. Hmm. It was a judgment on the city. Here's the reflection for today. What do Christians need to repent of most urgently today? Hmm. And number two, are you bearing fruit for God's kingdom, or are you spending more time and energy in pursuing other agendas? It's a great reflection question for today. I mean, the parable of the fig tree is like, the fig tree was busy, That little fig tree was busy. It was just busy growing, not producing fruit. Just like that, the neighbor's that one avocado tree. It's busy. It's busy not producing fruit. Just busy doing a bunch of other stuff. So we got to look at our lives sometimes and say, "What Um, am I producing spiritual fruit?" Um, And sometimes to produce spiritual fruit, um, you got to prune, right? You got to cut back so that you can produce fruit. and what are those things that Christians need to repent of most urgently today? I guess we could have a lot of opinions on that. Um, you know, sometimes, you know sometimes we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. Um, maybe sometimes, in my opinion, we get a little too uh, wrapped up in politics. Not that the politics are not important. I think they are important. But I think sometimes our vo- our vocabulary and our passion seems to communicate that we think uh, politics will save us, um, and worse, sometimes that America is the is the, is heaven. <laughs> I mean, you guys know how I feel about America. I love our country and and the rest, and I'm so grateful for to live here. But America's not the promised land, and it's not heaven, and it's not eternal. Um. And so I think sometimes we get we get a little mixed up with that uh, Christian nationalism, which I think can be very very dangerous. Um, I also think a lot of Christians, um, a lot of us, sometimes compromise the Word of God. So if you want to go to the other side of the spectrum, I think a lot of Christians uh, don't they don't really take the Word of God seriously, um, taken as a suggestion. The parts that part that they like they. We sometimes elevate our feelings over what God says. You know, if it if it feels like something we want to put our hope in, we will. If we if it feels like something we want to uh, trust, we will. Um, and so our feelings become um, the ultimate authority of things, which again is uh, something that needs to be repented of. Um, just living with that reality that God knows better, and God's word is true. And um, if my opinion uh, conflicts with the word of God, guess who's wrong? (laughs) If my feeling gets offended by the word of God, (laughs) guess who's wrong? (laughs) It's not the word of God. Um, So I think sometimes we have to, uh, we need to repent of that, that uh, watering down and ignoring uh, the authority of God's word. But what is it in your life? You know, we all have to take inventory. What is the thing in my life that I really need to repent of, and uh, so that I can refocus on on uh, living out my faith uh, and living out God's agenda the way He wants me to? It's a good reminder. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you so much for Your Holy Word. Thank you for the way that You bless us and encourage us. Thank you for this Advent season and a reminder, opportunity to be reminded of uh, of the fruit that we're producing. God, help us to be those um, those fig trees that produce much fruit. Lord, we know that sometimes for that to happen, you have to prune us. You have to cut us back a little bit. Sometimes you have to put a little manure around us. But God, we we trust you. We trust that you are uh, leading us and guiding us to bear much fruit. Uh, so Lord, help us to, uh, to be obedient to you and to be about your agenda, to not be too ca- caught up and captured by the Uh, the fancy things of this world, but to fix our heart and our desires on you. Um, Thank you, Lord, for the gift of Christmas. Thank you for the gift of Advent, uh, the gift of your son. And we pray that we might uh, adore and honor him uh, in every way as we walk through this season. Lord, thank you for my friends. May you bless them and encourage them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you today. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for spending some time reading through uh, the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the fig tree. Man, we want to be those trees that produce fruit, man. That's what we want to be. You guys are awesome. Love you guys. Enjoy your day. Keep your head above water with all the activities that are going on this time of year. Thanks, Ann. Thanks, Lee, Robin, Jeff, Bill. You guys are awesome. (laughs) Pastor Tim and Jane. You guys have a great day, Joseph. God bless you. All you guys on the podcast, thanks for being a part of today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Take a moment to share it, subscribe, like. If you're on the, uh, if you're on one of the podcasts, if you haven't yet, take a minute and write a comment. Especially on Apple Music, that really helps. All right, you guys, love you guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast.